Hey, good morning, church. How y'all doing? It's so good to see you. It's been a minute. Um, I would, over the summer, got to go home to California um, to see my family and celebrate my mom's 80th birthday. And we just had the best time being together, um, seeing lots of family I hadn't seen in a long time. And the best part of all, eating lots of Mexican food. It was just amazing. So it was so good. But it's so good to be back with y'all. It, it really is. So if you've been tracking with us, we are um, currently in the book of Joshua, where we are gleaning nuggets from Joshua's life and from the people of God about what it means and what it looks like to follow God with God-given faith and courage. And I love the title for this series, Courage to Change, because it does, it takes faith and courage and grit. And like Craig always says, a bit of mongrel, but, you know, to step out of the familiar and into the unknown towards what God has for us personally and as a church. And so we're following the journey of God's people and their new leader as they start this new chapter with their own stories of their own lived experiences with God. And last week we saw this dramatic moment. We saw God do the miraculous and stop the flow of the flooded Jordan River as the whole nation of Israel, a million plus people, cross over on dry ground. Now, I don't know how long that took for the waters to recede all the way back because apparently it was miles or for a million plus people to cross over the Jordan. But I can just imagine the relief when they finally landed on the other side. They would have been like, whew, man, we made it. Can we rest now? No, they make it only to face Jericho. <laughs> on that note, let me pray for us. God, this morning, uh, my prayer is simple. Oh God, would you do only what you can do? only what you can do. And Holy Spirit, this morning, as we open up your word and as we dig into Joshua 6, God, I just pray that you'd be stirring up things in us that maybe we don't even know about. Would you pinpoint areas that you just want to get after this morning? And would we open our hearts to that process? And so, God, we honor you. And as always, would you have your way, have your way in this place? And all of God's people said, Amen, amen. There's this beautiful verse in Hebrews 11 that says very simply that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I like the New King James Version because that's how I first learned it. And it says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We could also interpret that to mean that with great faith, God is greatly pleased. And, and I think we would all agree that you and I want to be people of great faith that pleases God. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not sure that I or we always have an aligned version of what faith like that really means. I mean, there are a lot of ways to think about that word. Some people think of it um, as belief. I believe God is real, so that makes me a person of faith. But the Bible says that even the demons believe <laughs> in God. So believing that God exists doesn't necessarily make us a person of faith. Sometimes people use the word as if it's God granting our wishes. So it's wishful thinking of, I'm going to believe God's going to do what I want him to do. And if I believe enough, God will have to do what I want him to do. But that's not how the Bible talks about faith. 
And sometimes we can think about faith as only about dramatic moments or dramatic displays where people point and say, now that, that right there is faith. But here's the thing, and here's what I've discovered, that the kind of faith that we often find in Scripture is often this day-by-day, step-by-step kind of faithfulness. And here's what we're going to see as we delve into Joshua chapter 6. Yes, God is going to do mighty and miraculous things, absolutely. And yet, the kind of faith that pleases God, as we're going to see, is a faith that just keeps on taking the next step of obedience. Obedience to him. Just keep taking that next step and that next step, even though you may not see or understand what God is up to or doing. It's that long obedience in the same direction kind of faith that Eugene Peterson talks about. Now, this chapter in Joshua even gets a mention in um, verse 30 of Hebrews 11, and it says this, that by faith, the walls of Jericho fall after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, they marched. They just walked around them. (laughs) Now, the Israelites have just landed Um, at the door of the promised land. And what are they greeted with? Jericho. Jericho is believed to be one of the oldest cities in the world. It was a city that was the preeminent stronghold of the Canaanites. And it was a city that was surrounded by walls. And that's what it was known for. That's what the name um, Jericho actually means. It means a place of concealment. It's a place that was concealed by walls. Now imagine the Israelites' reaction though when they first saw this. See, that generation had grown up in the wilderness, in the desert, and they would have never seen anything like that. Now the first wall that you see there was apparently somewhere around 40 feet tall and about 15 feet wide. And that's just the outer wall. There's another 15 feet of space and you have this inner wall that's even taller and even wider. So you get past that first wall only to come and hit another wall. Welcome to Jericho. (laughs) I mean, but can anybody relate to that statement, though? You get past one wall in your life only to come against another wall. And when that happens, it can feel like in certain situations that you just keep banging your head against a wall. And so, church family, I'm just going to dive right on in and ask you, is there something that you know or sense that God wants for you but is walled off to you right now? I want us to tread carefully with this because if you're anything like me, we can, tendency, we can sometimes have a tendency to think of this as not so much what God wants for us but what we want for us. You know what some of you may want or what I want sometimes. It's like a... Um, a new body, (laughs) perfect health, a perfect family, a bigger house, or just a house, or more money in the bank, or a new job. I mean, I could go on and on, fill in the blank. None of those things are bad, but it's not so much about what we want, but what God wants for us. And what does he want for us? It's his peace that surpasses our understanding, Philippians 4, 7 tells us. It's living with hope. Romans 15, 13 says it's joy in the midst of any circumstance, James 1, 2 says. It's living in community with other people, Hebrews 10 tells us. It's living with the promise of eternity, John 3, 16. So 
what are the walls that keep you from experiencing some of that? You see, for some of us, the walls are built by other people because it's something that was done to us. And our unresolved pain can lead us to having a wall of bitterness or a wall of anger that is just so deep down in there. And that anger then gets transferred to God because why would he have let that happen? For others of us, the walls are something that we've done. We've built them. And we have this wall of guilt. Or you get past the wall of guilt and you hit the wall of shame. And for some of us, it could be a wall of fear or anxiety or depression or worry or um, a wall of stress, even a wall of pride. Hear me when I say this. God has good things for you. And he has good things for me. And he's promised good things for us. But we have these internal walls sometimes that seem impossible to get over unless God does something. And I hope you find some encouragement here this morning because, church, kicking down walls is God's specialty. Amen? Joshua 6.1 says this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out. And no one came in. Now, the people of Jericho were terrified of the Israelites. But why are they so terrified? Why are they so afraid? They are a city of concealment, and they are surrounded and protected by secure walls. They have the advantage. So why are they afraid? We learn in chapter 2, which I recommend that you go and read, and it was just too much to unpack here this morning. Um, but we read that the people of Jericho and beyond had heard what God did for the Israelites when he parted the Red Sea from their exodus from Egypt. And you can bet that this time someone knocked on um, Jericho's gate and says, hey, you're not going to believe what just happened at the Jordan River. Their God he did it again. <laughs> he did it again. And the people of Jericho are like, lock it up, shut it down, secure and bar the gates because they know the Israelites are coming for them. And the text says that nobody was allowed in and nobody was allowed out. Jericho is on lockdown. We get that. Verse two says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. I can just imagine Joshua's reaction because I know what mine would be. Mine would be like, say what now? <laughs> what are you talking about? Lord says, see. But church, what does Joshua see right now? What does Joshua see physically? A wall, a big old wall. God says, see, and Joshua's like, oh yeah, I see, I see, nothing but walls. A wall so big that I can't look over it, and a wall so big, man, I can't even look around it. But here, this is where faith comes in that pleases God. It's a faith that sees a wall from where God sits rather from where you and I stand. It's from where God sits, church, how big do you think those walls look to God? It looks massive and impenetrable and impossible to us. But what about God's perspective? Isaiah 66, um, 1 says this. 
This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. We know this is metaphorical language because I don't think God's in heaven kicking back with his feet up on the earth. But this verse tells us something about God. It tells us about the infinite vastness and bigness of our God. The earth is his footstool. Now, I Googled this. The earth is about 130 billion acres. And the faith that pleases, uh, um, the earth is about 130 billion acres. And the city of Jericho is only six acres. And so the, play, the faith that pleases God looks at things from where he sits rather from where he stands. And God tells Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It's king and all its strong warriors. And did you notice all you English lovers and teachers out there, what verb tense it is? It's past tense. God says, I have delivered. Like in his mind, it's done. And if I were Joshua, I'd be like, uh, no. No, it's not. <laughs> I see walls. God, you're talking about something that hasn't happened as if it already has. And I don't know if God is doing this on purpose or from where he sits, it's already so done that he can talk about it in this way. But what do you do when what you see is different to what God has said? And I think that's what Joshua was experiencing in this moment. He hears what God is saying, but what he sees is so different. And he's going to need every ounce of confidence and gritty courage to see things from God's perspective as God lays out the most unlikely battle plan for Jericho. Now think about this for a moment. Joshua is an experienced warrior who has spent, who's probably spent the last 40 years wandering in the wilderness planning this very day. He's known as coming. He's believed that they are going to have another shot at the promised land. And for 40 years as a battle commander, he's probably been drawing these plans up. He's been paying attention about thinking about who he would want to lead and which warriors and armed men he was going to place where. And so this is it. This is the moment. And God gives him a battle plan that was probably not what he had in mind. And God tells Joshua this. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Again, Joshua would be like scratching his head thinking, um, God, that's not what my plans say. <laughs> what about, how about we do it for one day, God? Let's do it for one day. We'll do a little surveillance for one day, but if we do your idea for six days, we're just going to be exposed and vulnerable. The warriors on the wall will be able to pick us off one by one. Not at all what Joshua's got planned. Ooh, but it gets better. God goes on to say in verse four, to have the seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And Joshua again is like, so we're taking the priests with us? <laughs> I mean, they're good guys. I don't have anything against them personally, but um, do we really want them leading the way? And they're each going to carry ram's horns. So they're not just priests. It's a marching band of priests. Yeah. And on the seventh day, you want us to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the horns. God, again, can we just do it all at once? <laughs> How about we just do all 13 laps in one go? I mean, Jericho's only six acres, so we can just knock this thing out of the park. 
And instead of stretching it out for seven days. See, this is a conversation I'd be having if I were Joshua. <laughs> I don't know if Joshua was having it, but, um, but God isn't done with the plan. Listen to what he hears, says next. And he says, and when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Man, I would love to know what Joshua's, the look on Joshua's face in this moment. (laughs) But you know what's so interesting about this? Archaeologists in recent years have discovered that the walls of Jericho collapsed in such a way as to form a makeshift ramp into the city. Yeah, it did. You know God did that. In the next verses, Joshua relays the battle plan to his army. And we'll look at that in a moment. But man, can we just take a second to recognize that the kind of faith that pleases God is the kind of faith that follows God's plan, even when it's not what we would prefer. It's the kind of faith that is demonstrated in obedience, even when we're asked to do something that we don't necessarily want to do. And I know what I like. I like partial obedience. (laughs) It's where we just follow God in the parts that we're okay with. But that's not faith. It's obeying God. It's following his plan, even when it doesn't make sense necessarily from our perspective. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe you know God is wanting you to step out of your comfort zone. And maybe it's to get to know that really grumpy neighbor across the fence, (laughs) across the fence, and maybe inviting them to an alpha course. You don't want to do it, but you kind of sensed, you know, yeah, God's been on me about that for a while now. Or you know that God wants you to take a step to reconcile with that really annoying family member because of some past hurt or misunderstanding, and you don't want to do it. Or maybe you know God is wanting you to be more generous and trust him with your finances. Ouch. Or maybe you have felt the Holy Spirit nudge you about taking steps to get baptized, but you're scared to do it. Or you go into ministry, to go into ministry or study or to serve on the mission field or be part of a local mission, even though it's not part of your five-year plan. You see, for Joshua, I wonder if he felt like he was being asked to do something to have the victory, but he wasn't given the right tools. Like he wasn't given the right tools, like he's given priests and trumpets when in his mind, he would really love some battering rams, some catapults, and some 40-foot ladders, right? But God's plan is so different than what Joshua could have imagined. And so Joshua has this decision to make. Am I going to put my faith in God's plan? Or am I going to put my faith in my plan? Let's see what Joshua does next. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and he said to them, okay, let's take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have the seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. I love it because notice that Joshua doesn't give the battle plan all at once. (laughs) He's going to tell them a little at a time. And in verse 8, it says this, And when Joshua had spoken to his people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. 
And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. And then Joshua says this, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then, then you shout. Why do you think Joshua told him, don't talk, no talking. (laughs) That's all Joshua. God didn't tell him to say that. He says, don't say a word, zip it. Why does he do that? I think part of it is because he knows these people. (laughs) He's been traveling around with them for 40 years in the desert and he knows what they're like and he doesn't want to hear it. Because he knows that as soon as he finishes talking to them and he tells them about the battle plan, about what they're supposed to do, the emails are going to start coming in. You know, like, that's not the way I would do it. Or have you thought about this or from that perspective? And why just the trumpets and why not the French horns? What have you got against French horns, dude? What's going on? And Joshua is just like, man, all quiet in the back. When it's time to talk, I'll let you know. How many parents have ever said that? Hey, quiet at the back. I'll talk when it's time. You can talk when it's time. That's part of it. But Joshua knows these warriors. He knows that if they're marching and they start engaging perhaps with the warriors on the wall of Jericho, who may start to heckle them when they see that all they're doing is marching around, blowing horns, and then leaving, they'll start to heckle. And it's not going to go well. So Joshua's like, you just keep walking. You keep walking. You focus on marching. Don't say anything back. You just go and keep on being obedient to what God has called you to do. And in verse 11, it says this. And so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Wouldn't you love to hear the campfire talk that night there? Any bricks fall when you were walking? Nah, not a one. So Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And so the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. And on the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. And they followed this pattern for six days. The pattern the pattern. What pattern is that? It's a circle. (laughs) They walked in circles for six days. That's the pattern. And not one brick has fallen down. Nada, nothing. At least one or two bricks falling could give you a boost to kind of keep carrying on, to keep on going, but nothing. But sometimes faith feels like we're walking in circles, does it not? We're just walking in circles. And some of you so get that. You've been trying to walk in faith, some of you, when it comes to your singleness. You're honoring God, doing the best you can to honor him as a single person in this culture. And you're waiting for God to do something, but it feels like you just keep walking around in circles. Sometimes you feel like that in your parenting, with your relationship with your kids. You're trying your best to raise your teenagers and a culture that is so driven and influenced by social media platforms that thrives and dies on how you look, how you dress, what you have, 
and by how many likes and followers you got. And it feels like you're just walking in circles, trying to break that. And that is what faith sometimes looks like. It's a gritty faith that keeps on walking, keeps on trying to honor God. It's the faith that keeps trying to raise your crazy teenagers, even when the walking doesn't seem to be working. But about the moment you want to give up, God always seems to break through at just the right time in ways you didn't expect. And it says this, and on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. I love how they're getting after early in the morning. And they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled it seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, you praise the Lord, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout of praise, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in and they took the city just like God said they would. I love it. What a God we have and what a story. And we are left in awe of God and of Joshua's incredible faith obedience and confidence in God to carry out the most unlikely of plans. How did Joshua do it though? How did he find that kind of faith and that kind of gritty courage? Here's a clue. You see, this story doesn't actually start in chapter six. It starts at the end of chapter five and verse 13. You see, in the original manuscripts, there are no chapter breaks. And when you read it, the whole, when you read it from chapter 5, verse 13 onwards, it flips the whole story. It's like plot twist. It's like, oh my goodness. And I purposely left it to last because it shows us that before Joshua could ever lead the people to take the city, that was nothing but walls. And before God gives Joshua a battle plan that was so out the gate, Joshua had to assume a posture of humility and worship. Chapter 5, verse 13 starts like this. And when Joshua was near Jericho, let me just stop there for a second. That word near means up against. So I think Joshua, you have Joshua here, he's, he's there at night and he's scoping out the wall to see if there's any weaknesses, to see what they're up against. And, and he's looking up and he sees what they're going to have to deal with. And it says that he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him, front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? I love Joshua, man. <laughs> he just goes up to a guy with the drawn sword and he says, are you on our side or their side? And verse 14 says this, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua does something here that's so surprising. He just worships, says this. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place that you are standing on is holy. And Joshua did so. I bet he did. You see, he's heard a story like this before. 
from his mentor Moses. How many times had Joshua heard this story told around the campfire about how God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and told him to take his sandals off for the ground that he was standing on is holy. So who is this? Who is Joshua talking to? Was it an angel? Is it the angel Gabriel? It's not an angel. And how do we know? We know, because, we know it's not an angel because the man in Scripture allows worship. And every time a human tries to worship an angel in Scripture, you know what the angel always says? Get up. Don't worship me. I'm not God. And Joshua calls him Lord. And he receives that. You see, most theologians would say that what's likely happening in this moment here is called a Christophany. This is a physical manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. And Joshua asks him, Jesus, whose side are you on? And he says, neither, which so sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? You see, in essence, in essence Jesus is saying, it's not whether I'm on your side or their side. It's whether or not you're on my side, Joshua. See, I haven't come to take sides. I have come to take over. Joshua, you get to be on my side. <laughs> and Joshua does what we should do. And he falls down in humble worship and fully surrenders. He worships and he surrenders in humility. And in doing so, it's there. It's in that moment that he finds a strength and a courage that is not from himself. It's a faith and a strength and a courage that comes from the living God himself. You see, Joshua anchors himself in the presence of God. And so it is for us to church, our breakthroughs of our internal walls and our external walls that seem so big to us starts, starts with anchoring ourselves in the presence of our living God. You see, putting our faith, we put our faith in a faithful God and when we do that, it produces in us a humble confidence and a hope that we need to have a courageous spirit, just like it did for Joshua. And we don't have to beat our chest and try and drum up courage for ourselves. We find courage by looking to Jesus, by looking to Jesus. When I was a kid, um, my mom, there was, at that time, three of us, me and my two brothers, and my mom was a young mom, and she was going through a divorce from my dad, who had already taken off, and he hooked up with someone else. So she's got three young kids to raise. And she, I remember her saying that there was a time when she was in her bed, and she was just crying her eyes out. You see, she had a wall of worry that just seemed so insurmountable. What am I going to do on my own with these three kids? And she's crying, and she's crying herself to sleep. And she says, in that moment, she says, I'm crying. I felt someone come and hold my hand really tight. She goes, and I thought it was one of you kids. Must be one of the kids. And she cries a little bit more, and she prays, and she um, feels the hand on her, but she turns around to tell one of us to go back to bed. But when she looks, no one is there. And I love what my mom said. She goes, I don't know if it was an angel <laughs> or if it was Jesus. But she said, I was so comforted in that moment. And what I love about that is that my mom had the courage not only to raise us, not only to raise us, 
but also to take a step, a giant leap of faith to get past her wall of worry and apply for nursing school. She became a registered nurse so she could um, have um, the income to raise us. And I thought that was so brave when I look back now. She would have been in her 20s. Amazing. It's amazing. We anchor ourselves in the presence of God. And let's this morning, let us anchor ourselves together in worship. Let's anchor ourselves in his word. Let's anchor ourselves in community with other believers. Are you in a life group yet? And over time, one step at a time, day by day, we will start to see our walls, our personal Jerichos from God's perspective rather than just our own. It's seeing our Jerichos from where God sits rather than where we stand. Craig ended last week with asking, what is your Jordan? And I love that. Where is God asking you to take a leap of faith to get your feet wet? But this is part two. So I ask you, church, with so much tenderness, because I know so many of your stories, I ask you, what is your Jericho? What walls do you need God to knock down so you and those you love can lay hold of all all that God has for you? If I could have the worship team to come out now, that'd be awesome. You see, as we're going to stand in a minute to worship together, I pray that our worship would be a battle cry (laughs) over those walls. That it would be a battle cry that we sing together and that you would sing with all your heart You see, here's the thing, though. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus, through the life that he lived, the perfect life that he lived here on earth, and through his death and his resurrection, Jesus has already punched a hole through those walls. We just need to be brave to walk through them. Amen? Amen. Lord, I just pray for everyone here. I speak Jesus over this church and every person in it. I speak Jesus over every stronghold. I speak Jesus over every wall. And we, God, we ask that during this series that you would do a work, that you would do a shaking, that you would continue to break through walls that we've built or walls that have been built for us. God, you have life for us on the other side of it and flourishing and grace and forgiveness. God, thank you so much for who you are. We worship you. We celebrate who you are. And when we have our breakthrough, we give you all the glory because it's all about you and what you're doing. Help those here, God, who feel like they're just banging their head against the wall and they're walking in circles. But God, would you give them your perspective and they would look at their situation internally, externally from where you sit rather from where they stand. God be with us in a profound way this week. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Have an awesome week.